You're listening to Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by Three Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. Hello and welcome to Inside Content. I'm Jack Davison, EVP at Freevision, and today I'm joined by two exciting guests from Keshet Broadcasting, Karni Ziv, Head of Drama and Comedy, and their newly appointed CEO, Karen Shahar. We explore how the Israeli TV export market has grown and the evolution from selling formats globally to people around the world also watching Israeli shows. We also discuss how the market has developed for programming and scripted content and how they champion the unexpected to enable them as a small company from a small country to compete. Welcome to today's recording of Inside Content. Today, uh, we're lucky enough to have not one, but two guests with us. You've got myself, Jack Davison, EVP from 3Vision, and I'm joined by Karen Shahav, CEO of Keshet International, and Carney Ziv, Head of Drama and Comedy at Keshet Broadcasting. Now, I'll, I'll bring uh, the two of them in themselves to talk uh, about what they do at the business and, and give a far more accurate description. But for those of you who don't know, um, Keshet Media Group is uh, the umbrella company that's responsible for both Keshet International and Keshet Broadcasting. The broadcasting business is, I would say, um, at the forefront of their portfolio. It's, uh, it's responsible for Keshet 12, which... Uh, I, I can say it because because I'm not part of it. I believe is the most successful, well, the most watched commercial TV channel in Israel. Um, uh, it dominates the ratings on a lot of time slots and has very successful shows um, such as False Flag, Masterclass, and, and others. Um, like others, I believe the business is diversified um, pretty well and significantly with digital services, most notably Mako, and um, and Keshet themselves have also, are also a significant player in. The international distribution business through Keshet International. Keshet International is a global content production and distribution business. They are the arm of the Keshet Media Group. I believe they launched over launched a decade ago, and they, uh, I guess, develop and produce original content um, within their own network, and also bringing in acquired content from other partners. And they have a, a long list of interesting projects that I'm sure we can talk about today. Uh, which will help us kind of frame an interesting discussion about the industry. Like any other um, production distribution business, it seems they're working well with existing and new and emerging media platforms. And they have hubs all over the place. Uh, we can talk about that more, but Tel Aviv, London, Germany, the US. Um, but let, let's, um, uh, let's for me, let's for me, um, let's have some introductions from, from our guests today. Maybe um, if we start with, um, should we start start with Karen? Karen, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your role at, um, at Keshet International. Thank you, Jack. Um, and thank you for this kind introduction to Keshet Media Group and to Keshet International. So um, I am the chief executive of uh, Keshet International. So I pretty much oversee our entire operations, both uh, our production businesses, our distribution businesses, our new businesses that uh, will hopefully will venture into in the next 10 years of, of the company uh, and really uh, in charge of uh, the strategy for us moving forward. 
Great. Um, that that sounds um, that sounds all pretty, pretty clear. So we can dig into more. Um, and maybe if I, uh, Carney, maybe how about how about you, you're obviously part of the broadcasting business. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Um, I'm the head of the drama and comedy department for ten years here in Keshet. And my main role is I'm looking after and developing all the scripted material for the broadcaster for Keshet here in Israel. And I will say that like 30% of my job is looking after our formats and our series uh, all over uh, the world either the formats and in the side of distribution, I'm trying to help with this, or with the side of the adaptations that we're mainly working with uh, our studios all over the world to find the right platform for our stories, making them from Israeli stories to a local story somewhere in the world. So uh, part of my time I'm working with our executives, and then I have some connections with the creators that are working on some of our projects. Great, thank you. Well, I think that gives us a wonderful cross-section of, of your business and of the market today. If it's all right with you, I'd like to just start with a more general discussion um, and then move on to the more specific kind of Israeli angle to it. Um, but obviously, over the last few years, the narrative and the discussions around uh, programming and non-English language programming um, has, has has changed and evolved. I use the term non-English to cover it. Uh, I used to say foreign, which is a really horribly British way to put it. So, so I'm, I'm going to just stick with non-English at this point. Um, but I feel a variety of factors, uh, and this is what I'd love to get your view on, have impacted kind of what's happened with non-English programming. There's been different catalysts. Uh, the streamers and Netflix, they've chased global growth and they've needed local content to do that. There's been a local competitive response to that. And I think to some extent, there's been some cultural shifts and, and some local successes that have, have made a difference, whether that be the money heists, the Borgans, the Bridges or the Fowlers from different places. I think this certainly isn't my area, perhaps showing my age. There's a generational, kind of Generation Z sort of argument as well around globally and socially connected people kind of wanting to discover things themselves, perhaps. But that's definitely, that bit's probably out of my comfort zone as I'm to talk about somewhere else. Um, but perhaps um, the rollout of studio services, they've had a big, big impact on the streaming market. Uh, they've needed local content both to hit their local quotas, if it's European market, uh, but also to actually to to serve the local customers and what they want. Uh, we've had some shocks with the withdrawal of US content due to them pipelining content to their own services. We've had also had, I guess, the COVID impact, which uh, I, th I think that undoubtedly had an impact, but I think that came later and this was going on before then. Uh, and as a result, We've got the super indies and the studios that have chased opportunities with non-English programming, uh, in investing in overseas producers. And overall, non-English content is, is much more routine now. It's certainly routine on global streamers. Uh, it may not be prevalent, but it's certainly present on local services, bringing in other uh, non-English content. But I think it's certainly, it's not, you can't say anymore that it's on the edge of the market, on the fringes, where it used to be, where, where non-English content used to be. 
And when you talk to buyers, and we do this quite quite often, a lot of them certainly aren't as sensitive as they used to be around the issue of subtitles uh, and on English. And and that's definitely too much of an introduction to the question. But I'm intrigued to explore kind of what you feel might have made a bit of a difference and 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 helped support this shift to, to non English generally, but then also with Israeli. And maybe should we, should we start with you, Karen, on that one? Uh, well, first of all, I think we need to differentiate between the success of uh, Israeli drama uh, being remade, so format sales, remakes, right, and tape sales. Uh, funnily enough, I don't know if you saw, but K7 just released their Tracking the Giants on scripted formats uh, last week. And Israel, together with the UK, form a th- a more than a third of the remakes globally uh, in the past two years, which, I mean, UK, yeah, you get, right? But the fact that Israel is up there with the Brits is, is unbelievable. Um, and I think in terms of formats, Israel was always ahead of the curve, so to speak, And I think there I have to credit the U.S. studios, the Americans, okay? So on the format side, I'll give it to the Americans. Um, You know, we've we've made our first uh, scripted uh, sale for remake. I think it was 2006, probably. That's when we made our first deal. It was on for a romantic comedy called uh, The Mythological X from Sigal Avin. We sold it to 20th and it went on air on, on CBS. Obviously, in treatment, you know, Haggai, Levy's and Hot, marvelous show, which is a brilliant format, uh, was really the one that put, I think, the format business unscripted as a whole, not just Israel, on the map with HBO, which was, I think, pretty much around the same time that we made our, our first sale. Yeah. Right, Carney? I think it, it was right about uh, that time. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, in treatment is probably one of the top... I think the second, uh, or something like that. Most, uh, uh, f- most formatted uh, format all over the world. More than 20 yeah. territories, I Ex- think. Wow, more than twenty. It feels it feels that way. Whatever the actual numbers are, it's it you yeah. see you see its presence. So it's obviously had some great yeah. success. Yeah, yeah. So that's on the format side. So on the format side, I'll definitely give it give thanks to the Americans and to the American studios, and of course network. I think what Netflix did, almost, I'll go as far and say, revolutionized the non. English speaking market and, and legitimized it and mainstreamed it, so to speak. Because it's not that non English series tape didn't sell prior to Netflix. It did. I mean, we sold Prisoners of War. You know, I went back, Jack. Thank you. You know, be- thanks to you, I, I went back and, and I saw where we sold Prisoners of War. Uh, it was around, I would say, 2012 onward. 
and you know i see sky there i see hulu japan i see sbs australia i see globo there by the way all still very valuable and a uh, good clients uh to this date you know for for for, for non-english kind the uk maybe less so the buyers were there but it was a the show sold off the back of the success of season one of homeland you know that's when people started to pay attention to the original so i think that's something that we had then that you don't need almost today in a way and b you know it's all to sky arts which was you know sky arts is not sky it's a niche channel and that's you know and netflix i think with the likes of fauda and with the likes of a uh, uh, keshet's uh, when heroes fly uh, uh, which we sold to them in 2019 and then and and even before that we sold baker and the beauty another one of our rom-coms one of the most successful israeli shows i think ever to amazon on a global scale at 2017 I think Amazon since then, you know, changed their strategy. They're not the only ones, obviously, and we can talk about it. But yeah, so I think this is a long way of me saying that Netflix really, you know, punt intended, put non-English speaking programs on the map in, in, yeah. in a mainstream yeah. way because their, you know, their penetration was even then was so high that it was really accessible to everyone. It wasn't niche anymore. So that's, and, and that, that is in itself interesting, but what's also interesting is what you said. So the, supported also by the fact that you had these scripted formats that had been remade and helped kind of pave a way to create even more. So I, kind of one of the questions I was going to say was kind of, you, you, your business has evolved from being more about scripted formats to being well not shifting but incrementally being about tape sales as well but actually that's all linked it's, it's not it's not that it's changed it's just linked and the two have supported each other over the yeah, years I, I can say that when we choose an Israeli show to development we of course first and foremost are thinking about the Israeli audience it needs to be very Israeli it needs to be successful here and On our broadcaster uh, as a show in the broadcaster but then it's it's always important for us are we going to have a tape that we can sell all over the world and do we have a format that we feel and believe that is strong enough to travel and to find uh, the right way to penetrate hearts in different cultures and different territories so all three of Are a part of our making decisions that that's yes. uh that's great that's really because I get I'll um I'll talk in general terms and I'll keep everyone anonymous but someone said to me the other day that kind of um, they were talking about a, a di- totally different language a, a European kind of kind of language show that that had really failed basically uh, and 
they described it to me as a Euro pudding um, that had been made with too many people involved to try and satisfy every aim in kind of kind of multiple markets and ended up in this disastrous situation. And you just described to me the complete opposite, <laughs> which um, which kind of just it's just an interesting tangential kind of view. And, and, and it makes I total think sense. like two or three years ago, a lot of writers and creators came to us with a story that they always said, yeah, but it will be great to sell. It, you can easily sell. And, and the first thing that we're saying is we care, of course, we want to sell, but we know that we will sell only if it will be a successful Israeli show. And yes, it's important that uh, the story will be as a story that in different territories uh, will be uh, very curious and the heart of the story will be something that we will feel is international. But we try not to work only from uh, that way, the, the, the pave of uh, we want to sell it. We need a successful Israeli show, first of all. So what, what, are, what are the other kind of elements to, then, to, to success then that comes from the, your Israeli shows, the ones that have been doing so well? I mean, are there other kind of key kind of, uh, I guess, the corny way of putting it would be secrets of success, but that, that you have to make, to make the shows work? Of course. Two, luck and timing. Like everything else in life, I, I truly believe it. Yeah, but I will say yeah. that before that, we need very good shows. And when I go back to things that were successful for us uh, in terms of distribution and formats, most of the time, uh, they leaned on very, very good scripts. Sometimes it's uh, more important than execution. And uh, because the Israeli budgets are very small, so sometimes the shows are not, you know, very big and the budget is not big. But the scripts, the storylines, and especially the characters uh, are written so well that I think this is, what convinced people that we have a very good show and what makes it successful. And then we need right. luck and then right. the timing is very important. Yes. Yeah. And, and for us, honestly, Jack, you know, I would say more than 50% of the consideration for KI, whether to come in and invest on a, a, a cash show is really the passion and belief that we hear in Carney and her team's voice and we see on their faces, you know? Because like Carney said, if Carney believes in this show for her audience in Israel, that's more than 50% of the way. Only then do we start doing our investment case and analysis about the international market. That's great. That's great. So... If um, it's a tricky, maybe to generalize, but uh, I, I often hear people say to me, well, if you've got kind of a French show, kind of can do really well in Germany and Italy, maybe do well in the UK, Spanish shows, obviously they've got lots of markets where they're popular in particular 
um, uh, Spanish-speaking markets, but maybe don't do so well in Northern Europe. Um, you've got Turkish shows that have kind of gone off and done really well in Latin America. Are there any kind of interesting kind of foibles about Israeli distribution for you, Karen, when you're selling? Are there kind of are there go-to markets that you always do well in, or is it not that easy to say? I would say 100% there are markets, there are certain markets or regions that uh, Israeli content has a track record with. France is a big one. I think it started with feature films. I think there was always a very close uh, working relationship. There's a treaty on the feature film side between France and Israel. I think it started there. It's there where, where the French... Uh, started to grow uh, accustomed and uh, have a, an affinity to the Israeli content. I think it also has to do with the fact that uh, the French is a dubbing market. So they didn't really care what the language is, right? They yeah. don't really care. France is a big one for us. Um, the US became a big one for us. Uh, Israeli shows tend to do well in the US. Um, you know, you see Global, you heard Global, you know, since 2018 uh, and onwards. So a lot of uh, uh, Brazil and a lot of other Latin American markets, uh, our shows tend to do well there. It may have to do, it may have to do something uh, with, with the hot uh, culture. Although on the other hand, you know, Italy is not a natural market for Israeli content. Uh, in the past recent years, Spain has been a good market for Israeli content. We had some experience with India. A couple of years ago. India, correct. Uh, Poland is a good market for content uh, in recent years. So yeah, uh, there there are definitely like key markets that we always look at, even in our investment case. You know, we will always put right. those markets numbers against those markets, you know, first and, and probably Australia to a degree. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of format, in terms of format, UK was quite a good uh, market for us. Format yeah. wise, correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's great. Um, maybe it'd be good to, to, to shift slightly a bit and talk about um i, I was um not not working in purely in, in, in the coal face of production but I, I, I love talking about people's projects and, and what they're doing i think maybe we could talk about a few of yours because i think there are there might be a really good lens into sort of understanding how the company works and 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 the market for your content in, in the world today and I, you've mentioned it already kind of and I we, we sort of mentioned it in the top in the intro that kind of obviously you have um uh, your own broadcaster in in Israel um uh, K12 and and they're probably kind of I'm not sure what the actual numbers are but they're probably a key kind of um part of what ends up in your catalog <laughs> um uh, and then you've got your co-pros with broadcasters and streamers which is a uh, well I think you you mentioned them all. I think we've mentioned them all. You, you, you've done work with Netflix, work with work with uh, Disney, work with Amazon, kind of. And I know you've got um, some shows coming out with Netflix. Maybe we could just talk about a few of those to sort of explore how you're working. Maybe, maybe, kind of starting with your kind of what's going on with your. Is it? Am I right in saying Rough Diamonds, one of your projects? Yeah, Rough Diamond is, uh, 
I would say uh, the one, the most uh, recent one uh, that launched on Netflix, obviously, but that was a very long journey. <laughs> um, I wish it, it wasn't as long as it was. I think it was, uh, you know, five, five and a half years in the making. Um, and Rough Diamonds to me is really the, a perfect example of what we we at Keshet International set out to do outside of the Keshet 12 content or formats and outside of our production territories. You know, Rough Diamonds came about a meeting um, Jan, who was a producer at the Mensen, who's like the premier of one of the, the most prolific Belgian production companies. And we met him at a Content London, and he said, I've always wanted to do a show about the diamond industry in Antwerp. And I don't know if you know, but the diamond industry in Antwerp is very much dominated by Hasidic, by ultra-Orthodox Jews, which I'm gathering that's why he gave us the one-liner, right? That's why he told us he always wanted to do this show as opposed to a British or French company, right? And and I remember at the time it was myself, it was Carney with him, it was Peter Traggart who runs our studio in the US, and it was Atar Dekel who runs like our co-productions. And we all said, done, let's do it. That's it, like immediate gut reaction. And lo and behold, five years later after a lot of hard work of very talented people uh, in Belgium and in Israel, you know, this show came together. And what we did was Atar, who really was the conductor on the Israeli side, she brought in Yuval Yefet and Rotem Shamir, who at the time weren't a writing producer duo. They then became uh, such, and, and they developed and uh, created a show for Carney, uh, Line in the Sand, which is uh, the most successful drama in Israel in, in the past recent years, season two tomorrow. launching tomorrow. You see, I, I, I put that, I slipped that in there. Um, and Atar brought in them and Yuval wrote the script for the series for Rough Diamonds and Rotem directed half of the series. And then we had a French, uh, sorry, a Belgium director who directed the other half. So that was a real, you know, true co-production using Israeli talents on an original idea, not on a remake or not on an Israeli show that then, you know, went on selling. And this is very much what we want to continue and do more of uh, in the future. I think that's where, you know, where we, KI, as a small company from a very small territory, you know, can compete with, you know, the giants like, Bunny J and BBC and all three media and, and, and the ITVs of the world. So we're very, we're very proud. Of, of, of That's that great. One. I love that for so many reasons. Sort of the fact that you describe as a small company, you're meeting this kind of fantastic Belgian production company that's made some superb shows at Content London, showing that these markets actually work and that you get together. And okay, maybe, as you say, you've had a painful five and a half years as some of these projects do take longer, but, but what you've ended up with, um, 
looks fantastic. I'm only just, I've started it because I, I tried to watch more of it before we did this recording, but it does look, it does look fantastic. Um, and, and it has me hooked from the start, but so that's great. That's your kind of a good, great example of something kind of outside of your production territory. Um, maybe I guess from Connie, from your point of view, you've got, um, You've got some. What, what have you been up to recently? Projects, good projects. Might talk about. That may have come out of that K twelve. Uh, so I think uh, most recently we had drama named Buddy That Works about a married couple that needs a surrogate uh, to have a baby and the relationship between the, the the couple and the couple and the surrogate. It was, you know, we thought it's. It's a small, uh, emotional drama, family drama, and it exploded on, on our screen. It's uh, from terms of rating and also terms of buzz. It was really, I think, a very big surprise for all of us. Uh, and we are now uh, trying to develop the second season. Uh, tomorrow, we're as Karen said, we're launching the second season of Line in the Sand. That was two years ago our most successful show about cops that needs uh, to become, in a way, criminals to save their small town that they live in. So we're going uh, to a second season, and and the creator is Yuval Yefet. He's the guy, and Rotem Shamir. Uh, the two that created uh, Rough Diamonds. And further in this year, we will have a new espionage, thriller, drama, action that is called Trust No One about uh, the head of uh, our major uh, secret services, uh, the Shabak, that uh, is uh, confronting the biggest leak in, uh, in from this organization and how we, how he's going to deal with that and uh, happily enough we are going next uh, week to Monte Carlo uh, festival uh, to show and premiere internationally the the first episode and I think we'll close the year with another uh, who done it cop female-oriented story that has the name, it's, it's now called Palo Alto. It will have another name probably. Again, a thriller, a whodunit, criminal story that takes place in one of the northern cities, a mixed city here in Israel, Arabs and Jews that lives together, and something is going to explode there. Um, I think in a way, all the shows, now that I'm describing them to you, I think that they are describing quite well and touching a lot of the Israeli experience or main experiences uh, in you know, different uh, point of views. But a lot of the Israeli story of the last couple of years, I think all those shows, if, if I'm, you know, describing them now are, are uh, reflecting uh, the, the, the Israeli story, the Israeli experience, the Israeli society. Um, so we hope that all of them are going to be uh, successful here and then successful outside. Right. And, and 
Okay, th- th- that's that's great. That's really interesting. Um, but I guess Karen, one of your well, one of one of your remits, I guess, is a very simple statement to put it this way, but is to build your catalog, <laughs> to to have more more content to distribute, more content to sell. Uh, and are there any? particular areas of focus that you for you at the moment to do that i mean we've talked about kind of two things there that that and, and you've talked about how important it is you're working with with carney with shows and things like that but is there any how, how is there a kind of holistic approach do you take to kind of building that catalog i wish i could say there was uh, we are very as i said we we actually like to champion the unobvious, okay, the unexpected stories. Because again, you know, we, as coming from a small country and being a, a relatively small company, we always need to think how do we compete, you know, with, with, with the likes of the giants. And, and we need to be different. You know, we need to do things differently. We need to be more flexible in the way we do our deals, but also in the way we approach the content. There are no, I would say, predetermined buckets for us, really. It, it really comes, you know, from the passion of the storytellers and and the people at Keshet or outside that work with these storytellers. And I would say 99% of the times when we see that passion from them, those shows work. And and there were times, you know, with Israeli shows or other, non-English or even English, where we thought in terms of genre, it ticked all the boxes and it didn't perform as we expected, you know, and vice versa. Um, So, and I think what I like about uh, what's coming out of of Keshet, uh, I would say of Carney Slate in in the past uh, year, is actually, I like the diversity. I like the fact that we are, I think we're becoming much more than the, the people who bring you espionage, you know, the, the people who bring you the false flag, the Fauda stories, you know, something like Carney said, something like a body that works, for example. For me, that would be a UK series, you know, like that would make total sense. Uh, it, it's not a series that you would necessarily expect from a broadcaster in Israel. And, and that's what I like about that. And, and uh, the Paolo Alto whodunit show. Israel is not necessarily known for the whodunit, you know, the cop whodunit dramas. These are usually reserved for the Brits or the Scandies, right? So I think that's what... I'm excited about coming right. up. Well, that's great. We're nearing time, but, but get coming back to Carney on that one. So it's lovely and refreshing to hear that kind of you, you, you don't have these clearly defined buckets that things have to fit into. I'm presuming, Carney, that kind of 
given you, with the work you do for your domestic audience, the limited it isn't quite as free for for the domestic audience because they're presumably um, they have. Well, I'm trying to think what the right word is, but they're they're, they're more they obviously have their different areas, but they're more used to certain ways of doing things. Or, or do you have quite a lot of freedom there with with K twelve? Are you asking? Uh, do we have enough freedom to choose different kind of stories? Uh, maybe not to choose. Yeah, maybe, but not necessarily to choose. But but the the is there is there that are you finding that diversity for for the work you're doing just for the domestic audience, or or are you do you have to be slightly narrow and tight? Absolutely, I think I, I said that before yeah. that the key is always the creator. Karen said something about our mm. passion. Uh, it's always about uh, the creator that sits here for the first time and tells us a story. And you can feel when he pitches the, his short or the beginning of his idea, how passionate he is about the story, what's his connection, what is important for him to say. And even when we do like genre, like Trust No One is an espionage and uh, a thriller, but I think that the creators had, it, it took us a long way, uh, almost four years that we are uh, finally having uh, the tapes, but I think it's because we digged into the story and we tried to find what can we say about the situation? What's new about this story? What is important for you as a creator to say even though you are telling uh, an espionage story that we had a couple uh, some years ago. So this, you know, extra mile of going deeper to the story, and it can be a very personal story like uh, uh, a buddy that works or a cop story, but yet you want to say something that is more than just finding who done the murder. You want to say something about life in Israel, about how is it to live in a mixed city uh, that Arabs and Jews are living together and, and something explodes there and, and you know, all, all the city is around that crime. Um, so I think we are trying to bring uh, diverse voices of creators. And I can say that in the last couple of years, there are a lot of very good schools and universities here, and, and we meet a lot of different writers with different voices, different backgrounds, from secular to uh, Orthodox, Arabs, Jews, Druze, uh, you know, uh, Israelis, uh, creators that live here in Tel Aviv, and some that live outside of Tel Aviv. So I think for us, because because we think, uh, uh, first of all, of our audience at, at home here in Israel, we want to bring a lot of voices from all over Israel. And, and this is the things that direct us in when we choose things. Great. Look, I think I've taken too much time already, but uh, that's really great and really useful. I've really enjoyed that. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and, and your time. I um. Uh, I will continue to watch Rough Diamonds and let you know at the end of it what I think, Please but it don't. has got, got me gripped early on. So anyone else who's got Netflix, feel, feel free. I'm not here to plug shows, but it's, uh, it's just a nice change, actually, uh, from, from what I've been watching. 
Um, but thanks again for your time. And um, yeah, I look forward to catching up again with you soon. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content, the TV industry podcast brought to you by Three Vision. With decades of TV industry experience and real world success, we know the ins and outs of the market like nobody else. To learn more about our TV consultancy services, head to threevision.tv.